I'm Brian Buzz Smith uh, from Traverse City, Michigan, originally from Gaylord. Uh, my style is Maharlika Kuntel. I'm the head of the system in Michigan. And the particular system that I'm in, the division, Maharlika Kuntel, I'm the head of. which is the old system they are still they're separate I'm out of that particular system so I'm on my own not by choice <laughs> that opened um, the door didn't it yeah <laughs> we want to ask so is there a story behind that one that you'd be okay with telling or uh, yeah it, it's common knowledge okay. um, I trained in the Philippines from 1969 the very end of 69 to 1973 and I trained in Maharlika Kuntel left the Philippines in 73 and for seven years I had no contact with my instructor but when I left the Philippines he told me to propagate and promote the art mm -hmm. as best as I could so that's what I did I taught and everything I did in regards to tournaments or teaching I sent back to the Philippines with a five dollar bill to pay return postage if he wanted to send contact me. Sure. well I ran into uh, Carlito Linata my instructor from the Philippines in uh, 1982, which is almost 10 years right. in the Philippines. Right. I had just gotten back from Japan. I toured Japan with the Japanese Karate Association, and he was in Norfolk or uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia. He said, "Come down." So I went down. Mm -hmm. I competed. Uh, he had me enrolled in a tournament: Masters Division, Black Belt Division, Seniors Division. I took first place in everything he entered me in. He entered me. Interesting. At the end of the tournament, I had Grand Master and Grand Champion title. I beat the heavyweight fighter. Brought me back to his school, and he says I, that I was his number one student, number one practitioner of Kuntal in the United States. He made me the U.S. Director for International Kuntal Federation. Wow. He also made me the uh, Canadian Director for Maharlika Kuntal. Actually, it wasn't Maharlika Kuntal. It was Kuntal in Filipinas, because he changed the art in 1977 to be more competitive in the Asian games. So it's more Shotokan, Shorinru, Ishinru type uh -huh. techniques. It's easier taught, plus you could compete actively against the Japanese and Koreans in the Palarong Filipino, which mm -hmm. is their mini Olympics. When I went down there and I did that at the tournament, he awarded me my fourth degree. He told me to go and promote more. Mm -hmm. Go get up into Canada, do more in Canada. So I went to Canada. Wow. I established three schools in Canada, came back about three years later, and uh, he said, I am going to award you your fifth degree because you've accomplished this. Mm -hmm. You have done more than anybody else sure. to promote it. But in order to get this, uh, get the, your next rank, you will have to learn these 24 forms. And they were all karate. And I went, the reason I got involved in Maharlika <laughs> is because it was a soft, flowing system. It used natural body characteristics. Yeah. It was pretty. Yeah. It had culture. What you want me to teach is what I got out of the, the robotic forms, right. the no right. technique, right. the no no conceptual skills and stuff. I said, 
I don't want that. Then you're not going any further. I said, fine. Yeah. I have to, to be true to myself. That's a choice that you have to make. And So yeah. he says, well, then go. So I left. About two months later, there was posted on his website a statement saying these people are out of the organization. No. He lost something like 15 black belts that were old school. No. Yep. Wow. So instead of just deciding that he he's not willing to promote you to fifth, and that's okay, and that you're at fourth, he no, decided to... he gave to me re- fifth. He gave me fifth, but he said if you want to go any higher, any higher, you have to learn all these forms, and you have to teach them as your curriculum. And I said... That's not what got me in the art. And, and you were, and, and uh, you know, it sounds like you were just saying, "Okay, then I won't go any higher. I'm okay with that." Yeah, that's what I said. And and so instead of him being okay with that, he actually kicked you out of the organization. Correct. Ugh. Wow. On top of that, he sent me a personal letter. And I posted it at my school, saying, "I never taught you kung tao. I never danced you. I never gave you rank." And I posted it right next to all my certificates, my instructor certificates. Good for you. My international kung tao federation. Uh, uh, Directorship uh, certificate, my uh, International Kuntal Federation Canada certificate. (laughs) I said, you decide. Right. Wow. Did he or did he not give me my rank? Yeah. Right. Okay. The person that he put in charge was very good at karate. I was the highest rank in Kuntal at the time, at fourth degree in the United States. I think it's um, uh, it's a good it's a good lesson in that it's just a piece of paper. Exactly. Uh, yeah. and and that you know that you know what you know. The and Japanese have a term for it that's called shibumi. Shibumi. To, to know inside. You don't have to prove it, you know what you're capable yeah. of. That's good. I know that Sterling and I have lots of have had lots of discussions about, you know, when we both reached black belt and and what that means and the assumption that public the public makes about oh you're a black belt and oh you're this and 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 how amazing that when you see it from the inside, yes. how meaningless it becomes, <clears throat> and and how sort of the the it it is just to hold your pants up, and it is just a piece of paper. And uh, I'm sorry, what was the term again? Shibumi. Shibumi. Shibumi is really what it all comes back to, and that you know mm-hmm. what you know, and that's the important part. Well, like I told you, I left the Philippines in '73. I hadn't had any contact with uh, Carlito Vignata. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the States had ever heard of any Filipino martial art. Right. Dan Inosano did an article in Black Belt Magazine in mm-hmm. 1975. And I went, Yes, Holy somebody crap. does Filipino martial arts! <laughs> I had never heard of him of Dan Inosano before that. Uh-huh. Never heard of him. Uh-huh. So I heard of a seminar in Lansing, Michigan. I went down and introduced myself, and he knew of my instructor. He had heard of my instructor because one of his assistants, Nari Babo, had trained in Kuntel. Okay. And what he, Nari had taught, had showed Dan was the stuff that I was showing Dan. So he knew that I was on the same lineage. So we became friends in 1976. Mm-hmm. And I've been training with Dan off and on since then. I've never gone for an associate degree because I, I don't teach JKD. Right. Right. Okay. Sure. My first love was Maharika Kuntao, and that's what I teach. I've got instructor certificates in uh, Modern Arnese, uh, Pekiti Tercia. Uh, I mean, I've got those certificates, but I don't, I'm not an instructor of those arts. I don't feel comfortable teaching them because that's not what I am. Right. So I don't promote them. But when I teach a class, I teach 
bits and pieces of Pikachu Tercia. Uh, I teach my Muay Thai techniques, ideas, where you can go from here. Here's where you go. This is what this is another tool to put in the bag. Yeah. So that's where I'm coming from. When I heard that, or I got the letter from Mr. Lignata saying that uh, you are no longer recognized, stop using the name. And I looked at the certificate saying <laughs> promote and propagate, you have my permission. I said, well, you can't take back what you've already given and what I've already started is a path that's not going to stop right. just because you want to make money. Right. right. So I went to Dan and Osano. I said, how could I go farther in my art? How do I do this? And he yeah. says, well, what rank do you want? And I said, I'm not really looking for rank. I'm looking for recognition. He says, it's not by what a piece of paper. It's by what you do with the art. So wow. I've been giving seminars in Canada and Florida and been involved in two movies. And by promoting... The art as it was, yeah. I'm being true to myself. Absolutely. And he said, if any rank you want, I'll sign the paper. That was from Dan. And I'm going, well, <laughs> it's nice to think that I could do that, but he can't really promote me in Mahardika Guntal because he's right. not a rank holder. Right. But to have that backing. To say, I have the confidence in you, whatever you choose to do. Correct. Rudy Timmerman, uh, head of the uh, Korean uh, Kung Shin Bup and. Uh, Canada, who's head of the Hapkido and Kuksuwa okay. organization, same thing. He said, what rank do you want? <laughs> I said, I'm comfortable with, you know, where I'm at. Yeah. I'm an instructor. I'm a senior instructor. Yeah. He says, well, do yeah, your thing. Yeah, that's what you are. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody questions me, all i got to do is talk to those two people, and they're pretty high up there. Yeah. Well, and yeah. it's, you know, I think, too, that uh, in life, uh, oftentimes we have we have mentors or advisors that we go to, and that it's a really good feeling to go to them and when you say I'm not sure what you what to do next and they say do your thing man just mm -hmm. do your thing and it's a affirmation that you're you're on the right path you know so tell us a little bit about Kuntao okay Kuntao uh, when I was first taught it was uh, translated as way of the fist it's Chinese in origin oh but the word Kuntao K-U-N-T-A-W mm -hmm. the T-A-W is a bastardization of the Dao. Chinese Dao I see. to be, make it more Filipino. Interesting. And there's been a lot of <laughs> yeah, a lot of back and forth. Yeah, that's what it is. No, it's not. It's Indonesian. No, it's this. What I was taught was Kuntao meant way of the fist. Mm -hmm. Chinese influence it to the, the Filipino by that uh, changing of the Tao Tao to instead of Dao Tao. I see. Right. Um, in Maharlika is a term used in the Philippines to signify royalty or importance. Okay. Uh, the royal family were considered the Maharlika. I see. The original name of the Philippine Islands when they started settling it was Maharlika. Maharlikas. Maha coming from India uh, saying uh, overall royal. Like a Raja, mm -hmm. there's a Maharaja. Ah. Maha is the top. Lika mean people or uh, the inhabitants, the Maharlikas, free or royal people, answering to no one but themselves. Mm -hmm. And that was the aspect of the art. When you learn the art, you are learning of a noble line from the Tausuk, the tribe that developed from Tau. Mm -hmm. And it has importance because it is respected. Whenever you say something twice in the Philippines, like uh, balut, balut, that's a lot of balut, okay? Or lima lima, five five. It's complete. It's a system. Yeah, they use double emphasis. Double, yeah. double I, word for I, Yeah, I've heard um, 
that, uh, and, and maybe this is true in a lot of other places, but I've heard in the Philippines, um, it's, it's very important for them that, uh, like, you, you, can, you can behaviorally do something wrong and not even know it and insult somebody without mm-hmm. realizing it. Yeah. Was that difficult for you when you went and trained there to make sure that you, you didn't you didn't tell somebody to go fuck themselves and not realize that you were doing it? <laughs> well, the, the uh, Tagalog, the language is, is kind of hard to pick up on when you don't have anybody to teach you. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot by uh, mimicking what was given in class because I was the only American. Right. Uh, okay. Right. There were a couple of uh, Filipinos within the class. Uh, Filipi and Bukbuk uh, Buk was a, a hair hair lip girl. Uh, they took the time to get to know me, and I got to know them, and we practice outside of the school. Uh, all in all, I was a punching bag for probably six months, yeah. while people beat up on me to see how far I would push it. Yeah. If I was an ugly American, or if I really wanted to learn the art. And when they realized that I wasn't an ugly American and I treated them like real people, then it was opened up to me. And more and more people got involved with me in regards to helping me learn. Carlito Lignata had a very small part. He was the headmaster. The black belts ran his class. But if he saw you doing something wrong and he wanted you to have it, he'd come out of his office and take you aside. Mm. He did that a lot with me. (laughs) There's a a terminology in, in Tagalog language, which is pangat. Okay. which means ugly, distasteful. He had a stick. It was a bunch of rattan strips tied with um, tape and uh, a rattan wrapping. It's like a, a whisk. You yeah. Have. Uh. Okay. And if you saw something you were doing wrong, he'd come up and he'd smack you with it and say, Baguette. Baguette also is a slang word for, for ricochet, a bullet. Somebody's shooting. Look out. So it was a warning, and it was a description. Interesting. And I never knew what, what he was using it as, Which whether one? I was doing it ugly or, I'm going to hit you, watch out. <laughs> so I had a lot of welts. When, when you got hit by that thing, it would hit your skin, spread imagine. apart, and then pinch on the way back. Uh, so I ended up with all kinds of welts on my arm because my little finger was out too far. And I, didn't, I couldn't see it. I didn't know it. I kept getting hit. And then finally, one of the instructors would come up and go like that, and i go, dummy. <laughs> wow. Um, so I, I learned quite a bit in regards to follow directions by example, yeah. getting hit and thrown down and try to figure out why when nobody would tell me. Uh. And then when they finally realized that I was there for good, they would tell me. Mm-hmm. My nickname is Buzz. Mm-hmm. There is no comparable word in the Tagalog language. <laughs> but there's a word that goes bastos, which is bastard. <laughs> Everybody was calling me Bustos for six months, and I thought it was a compliment. Um, well, you know, along those same lines, um, I think that there's a uh, there's a very romantic idea for a lot of the martial artists in the U.S. about going to train in the the Philippines, and you know, you watch the Van Damme kickboxer and he he goes out into the forest and trains with the master that's got a small shack and chops the the tree down with his leg and Mm. things like that what what's your what's what's the reality of that between training somewhere like there where they can hit you with a stick and you know not have a lawsuit on their hands and here where you have to be a little bit more careful but you know, is is that a good thing? Does that work for training, or does it really not work? 
Well, it's reality. I mean, when we did stick fighting, there was no protective gear. Mm -hmm. You learned to defend, or they would smack you with a stick mm -hmm. until you learned to get your guard up. Like I said, I learned by example. Yeah. I think that a student doesn't have to be hit in the head to realize it's going to hurt. When you can converse with somebody and pass that information on and reinforce it by a hard strike with a, a foam rubber stick, it gives the same example. And then when you put the gear on, you really get to feel what's happening. Yeah. I feel uh, gifted in the respect that I learned from somebody who wasn't looking for me. Right. Okay. What you run into now is you get a lot of Filipino instructors looking for good students, and they'll pull you in and give you for so much money, I'll teach you this or whatever. I learned about the art, and they didn't really want me there. <laughs> you had to work your way yeah. into it. I had a green belt in Taekwondo. Uh -huh. I had come to the Philippines looking for Taekwondo. There was no Taekwondo. On base, they had Kaiokushin Kai. So I cross-trained in Kaiokushin Kai. Earned my green belt in Kaiokushin Kai. Pretty quick, because I was fairly mm -hmm. decent. Mm -hmm. I went out one night with a bunch of my buddies to a place called the Empire Club. It was a second-story bar. And I watched a big Texan grab hold of a Filipino waiter who was about 15 years old and stood about four foot tall, uh -huh. lift him off the floor and was going to pull him yeah. you know, with, a, with a fist. I grabbed the guy's arm and the guy threw me into a table and it hit the middle of my back wow. and I couldn't do anything. By the time I got up from the floor, the Filipino had him on the floor and tied up into a knot with his foot on his throat. Holy smokes. And I said, I've never seen that before. <laughs> what is it? He says, Filipino. I said, could you teach me? He says, no, I'm a beginner. You don't want to learn from I'm me. A beginner. <laughs> I'm a beginner. <laughs> and I said, well, what is it? He says, it's Filipino. I said, what's the name of the art? He says, Kuntao. Well, teach me. I cannot. I'm a, I'm a student. I says, but you can still teach me how to do that. I can take you to Throw my, me a bone. <laughs> I can take you to my instructor. Oh, boy. Well, at that time, martial law was in the Philippines. You oh, couldn't boy. be on the street after such and such an hour, and you had to be back aboard your ship. Uh -huh. Before 7 o'clock in the morning, if you were on the street, they could shoot you. Wow. Ask, shoot you, ask questions later. So I had very limited time to search this guy out, but I made friends with the Filipino waiter because he saw I tried to help. Mm -hmm. So I stayed overnight in the bar. Oh, wow. To train with this kid. <laughs> okay. This beginner. This guy taught me more in one night that I learned in a year in Taekwondo. Wow. How to, how to evade, how to switch, how to turn, how to make the person do this. And he was a beginner. So he agreed to take me to, to see his instructor, which was Carlito Linata. His school was a cardboard box and plywood. <laughs> I mean, it was just a hole in the wall. Yeah. There was nothing there. I mean, he was embarrassed to have me come in because I had a plain white uniform with Taekwondo, sure. you know. And I came in there with my uniform, and I, I took my green belt off, and I put it on his desk, because I wanted to learn from you. Yeah. Why? Because what I saw your student here uh, was so much better than what I have learned so far. Mm -hmm. Okay, you come in. Wow. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> what do you think is the, is the, sort of the overall philosophy of Kuntao? You know, and, and we, we we sort of had, you guys grilled Chuck about that yesterday, and um, uh, I, I think it's a very sort of perceptive question. To, and and not, it can be as long or as short as you want. It's just, you know, a lot of people I'm sure haven't heard of Kuntao before, so. Okay. The underlying factor for Kuntao 
is the fact that you don't want to throw a punch if you are not able to take a punch. And if you don't want to take a punch, if you're not protecting yourself, mm -hmm. don't throw a punch. Interesting. Okay. So there, the philosophy of having two defenses before you throw a strike. Block check. Then make your move. You defend yourself. Uh, the fight you fight, you lose, is what is uh, a saying in the art. Mm -hmm. If you have to fight a fight, that means you've lost your integrity to talk your way out of it. If you haven't taken the exit, again, you had to fight, you've lost. You've lost. You've lost dignity with your friends. Chances you may have lost your freedom if you fought by being picked up by the cops because you used a, a lethal force or hard force on your opponent. Plus, you've failed your ability to reason or to, to work out differences with your opponent. Mm -hmm. But if you have to fight and there's no way out, you fight. Yeah. Right. Using what force is necessary. Yeah. The balance, the, the emblem of Kuntao has a yin and yang, showing the Chinese influence. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to develop your mind and your body. You use your mind first, you use your body second. If you fail one half, you use the other half. So there is a balance between being able to reason, be able to work things out, or being able to put it in the line. The, it goes as far as to the honor. When you saw uh, Master Bobby uh, take and do the, from the heart, to the welcome yep. in, in back. There is no bowing in, in the Philippine martial arts. They don't oh, consider, really? they don't consider themselves any less than you are. Okay. Right. When you find the bowing you find find it from Japanese influenced art. Mm -hmm. If you watch uh, Guru Dan do his presentation, it's from my heart and my head I offer. You know. He he goes through yeah. the movements. It has meaning. In Kuntao it's an open hand and a closed fist, one above the other. I consider friendship first, battle second. If I cannot reason, if I cannot deal with you as a friend, then I'll fight. We can shake hands or we can fight. The choice is yours. And the other aspect is, I come with an open mind, you know, asking for knowledge. Sure. And when I get it, I will hold it true. What will I hold it true to? Your heart. Very interesting. So there's a lot, there's a lot of subtleties. Uh -huh. And if you're not aware of it, you can overlook it. Yeah. Kuntao uses hard and soft, mind and body, aggressive and passive, using the least amount of force as necessary. If you punch me, I let it go by. I don't sit there and go, okay, hit me again. Yeah. <laughs> you punch, I go with it. And if I felt that you were serious about hurting me, the punch that I move from, I give back. Least amount of energy. The turnstile, when you go into a theater, yeah. the thing, you push the bar and it hits you in your butt and you go in. <laughs> uh, from the Karate Kid when he was doing the, right, the drum, the drum, drum thing. thing. Yeah. Okay, well that's one of the philosophy or the concepts within the art. You give what's given to you. Mm -hmm. If somebody is, is fair with you, you be fair with them. Yeah. It's It becomes religious, it also becomes a, a good mental thing to have with you. Yeah. Don't don't force uh, force an issue. If you don't like me, why don't you like me? Can I, can I change? <laughs> sure. I don't fight you with, oh yeah? Right. Why don't you like me? Well, because of this. Oh, well, let's figure it out. And it, yeah. After a while, you become yeah. that. If you yeah. fight the issue, all it is is two freight trains going against each other. You're both going to have damage yeah. on the tracks. Yeah. The object is to get off the tracks or derail a train. Yeah. Derail his anger. Buying somebody a beer is a lot easier than fighting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. You could both can go to work the next day without a black <laughs> right. eye and missing teeth. Right. That's right. Right. Okay. 
And that's that's the philosophy behind it. That's our, our goal is to put out students who have mind and body in balance. Um, the 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 sort of ad say over the last five to ten years, there's been sort of this upsurge in. You know, ever since the UFC came out, mm-hmm. there's an upsurge in gre- uh, grappling and reality-based fighting. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've seen, um, as especially you know, my background is a lot of traditional martial arts, is that everybody's now questioning all of these traditional martial arts and 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 well, why do you do forms and what's the point and all that stuff? And do you find that that has has influenced? your teaching or your style or what do you think about that whole mindset well bottom line is could tell you have grappling it's called buno mm-hmm. okay and that's given to a student at green belt level okay okay so and that's always been there. it's always been there okay yeah. the stick work starts from day one uh-huh. the hand follows the feet follow the hands we have a pretty complete martial art okay and in regards to reality, what's more real than somebody tries to dive bomb you on a mat? Yeah. Well, when you do Buno, the object is to push the guy on his back and tie him up. Yeah. So we have that. So I don't have to change my teaching to teach it. Right. But what I see in the uh, mixed martial arts mm-hmm. scene is they'll throw a, the token kick and the token punch so they can wrestle the guy to the ground. And that's not cool because in the street you try to do that, so his buddy's going to come along and kick you in the back of the head. Yeah. You don't want to be tied up with somebody on the ground. Yeah. You don't want to take him there. You want him to go there. Right. Okay? Right. Um, I was a bouncer for three years and nobody knew it. Why? Because I didn't lock into a stance and <laughs> I'd walk up, back like I was drunk and say, yeah. you know, you guys got a fight going. And I'd pinch the guy underneath the ear and, yeah. and bump him in the, the below the knee so he lost his balance. So... And he didn't have anything to fight from, and next thing you know, I'm walking him to the door. Everybody thought we were buddies. Yeah. I did not force an issue. I made the person bend to what I was doing. You know, somebody took a wild swing at me, I changed it around so it became a headlock, and out the door they went. Yeah. If I hit a coat rack on the way out, well, it's, <laughs> too it's too bad. The guy stumbled. The guy stumbled. Okay, so I don't like leg hugging. And that's why I call wrestling. If you go strictly to wrestle, it's leg hugging. Mm-hmm. Because you really, all you can do is choke the guy out. If you're it's wrestling, option. If you're wrestling, you choke the guy out. You lock up his arm, you're still stuck to him. Right. You either take him and knock him out, or break his arm, or break a leg, or whatever. You do damage while you got the guy down. And get away. Because his buddy's going to come with a you know, car antenna and whip the crap out of your back of your head, or a tire iron, or a chair if you're doing it in a bar. Yeah. You have to worry about more than one person. Yeah. And that's another thing. Is there's threes in the art. And whenever you fight somebody, you're actually fighting three people. The person who's in the center, any weapon that can come from that direction, any weapon that can come from that direction. Including a friend. Yeah. yeah. So if, if you're just one-on-one with this guy... You still have two other areas that you have to cover. Have to cover, and while I've got a hold of you, I still have that third. Yeah. Even though he's not there, I still have to worry about the knee coming around, an elbow coming around. If I occupy the center, I'm in deep doo doo. Yeah. So our goal is to stay to the outside, become number one or become number three, Interesting. and use you as a center so we keep it between the three of us. Right. Right. So that's one of the concepts. Um. If you were to give advice for somebody looking for a martial arts school or a non-martial artist, uh, well, even a martial artist or a non-martial artist, what what advice would you give them 
to, to when they walk into a school, what 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 advice would you give them to look for or to not look for? Oh boy, I've asked, been asked this question a number of times. <laughs> <laughs> the novice is uh, like somebody going into a restaurant. They don't know what the how special it is. It's a brand new restaurant. Yeah. You don't know if it's seafood or if it's steak or if it's chicken or, or what the, the specialty might be. And you really don't know what your tastes are until you go through the menu. Mm-hmm. To go to one school and say, that's it. It's like going into that restaurant, ordering the, the steak and lobster, and that's all you eat whenever you go in there. <laughs> you can't do that and yeah. be true to yourself because you haven't experienced anything else. My suggestion for somebody who's looking for a martial art is to go into a number of schools, try a free class in each one of them and see if it matches your mental attitude and the outcome or goal that you want to uh, excel at, be it uh, discipline, be it uh, physical structure, or be it uh, camaraderie. I mean, whatever you happen to have as your goal, you have to find a school that matches what you want. The second part, if you go to an instructor and the guy's 40 pounds overweight, can't touch his toes, um, has his his students run his class, I don't think I want to train from this guy. If he's there's there's martial arts language too, okay, martial arts language. Well, I I don't believe in forms because forms have no practical value. What he's saying is I don't do forms because I don't do forms well. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay. Well, I don't believe in tournaments because tournaments promote uh, competition. I don't do tournaments because I don't do tournaments well. Right. If where where can you go and practice your skill in an uncertain environment? A street fight, a bar fight, or would you rather go to a Hogan's Alley? You know what Hogan's Alley is? No. The police use a Hogan's Alley for uh, target shooting, for scenarios. They walk down a hall, all of a sudden a lady comes out carrying uh, groceries. If he draws his gun and shoots her, he's failed. Okay. But if a gangster shows up with a knife over his head, you shoot him. You learn because you're not sure what's coming up next. The great scene from Men in Black. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so if you go to a tournament, it's like going to that Hogan's Alley. Sure. You don't know your opponent, but you know he's going to throw something at you. Yeah. Right. And you better be prepared for it. It's not real life. Neither is Hogan's Alley. But what other medium can a cop go to to practice his skills in a controlled environment where nobody's going to get hurt? Right. That's right. Okay. Right. A tournament does that. Sure, it doesn't cover all the aspects, but it's the closest thing to reality you're going to yeah. find and be able to do it. Safely. Safely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you all you do is collect guns and you polish them and you put them back in the case and hang them on the wall, what's going to happen when somebody threatens your wife or your kids when somebody breaks into your house? Are you going to break that gun off the wall, get it out of its case, unlock the, the trigger and then shoot it? And you've never fired it so you don't know what the... the mm-hmm. If you don't use it, how do you know what you're capable of over there? Yeah. Okay, those who go out there and practice strictly forms and strictly in-house fighting, they don't get the full picture. Right. So I believe tournaments are a very good way of learning to apply, to adapt, to feel, to perceive, to time, to to hone your skills. Mm -hmm. Sure, you're going to get in the habit of of stopping your punch, but when you are when you are in a situation where your life is on the line, you're going to carry through. Because you're angry. Well, and I think it. I think tournaments help people overcome their fear of failure. Exactly. As well. yeah. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of anxiety that goes into tournaments. And, you know, I've been studying this for X number of years, and now I have to put it to the test. 
I'll feel like a jackass if I come in last. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, when I first started out in tournaments, um, I was scared to death, and I didn't do very well. Mm-hmm. But every time I went out there, I got better. When I came back as a Filipino stylist and tried to compete in a karate tournament, I was the black sheep. Mm-hmm. Nobody had ever seen this art. Nobody had seen the forms. Nobody knew what to make of it. And they all were thinking, well, this guy's a fake because I've never heard of it. Okay? So I was kind of a black sheep. Now, the guys who were in the karate studio, they say, well, we don't really compete in tournaments because, well, they don't do well. Those guys are being judged by their peers. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, if you're not doing well, everybody knows it. Yeah, right. yeah. I go out there and do and don't do the form <laughs> properly. They have no idea. Right. All they can go by is the balance, focus, and speed, and mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. So it's like taking a Mustang to a Corvette rally. Sure. Okay. Sure. Since starting competition, I have six trophies less than one thousand. Holy smokes! If anybody was going to do bad in a tournament. <laughs> Sure. Don't you think that I would yeah. be the guy? Yeah. Who, that guy's a Philippine. Well, he's not right. No, he's uh, not karate. Yeah, get him out. They did that until I started beating their butts and fighting in self-defense and such. They saw value. Plus, there was articles that came out from Dan Osano, like I said, uh-huh. right. legitimizing what I did. And after that article, yeah. every black belt I ran into was asking me questions about it because sure. they had heard about this Ooh, neat Filipino stuff. Filipino martial arts. So I got immediate legitimacy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I get Lenata saying, "No more legitimacy." Yeah, <laughs> the Kuntao is not good in competition. Would you look? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just came down here and did traditional Kuntao in a tournament that nobody knew me. Yeah. They didn't know what I was going to do. I beat all these guys with their own judges. Yeah. What do you mean Kuntao doesn't work? Kuntao in Philippines does. My student beat her and his students yeah. by the same judges. Right. So that's not a legitimate uh, right. uh, yeah, decision. Yeah. And I think it's strictly that. Right. right. Yeah. Well, um, did I take it off in left field? Yeah, <laughs> you know what? This is this is what we hope for. Actually, <clears throat> yeah. we we hope that people will go off in left field. Well, I'd like to know a little bit about. I mean, you talked about once you got into into Kuntao and stuff, but what other experiences before you really got heavy into Kuntao? What other martial arts did you look? When at? I was in high school, I used to see Papa Mechanics and Karate this and Judo that. There was no Judo Karate magazines out there, and every so often you see something in in the uh, combat. Um, World War II movies where somebody would throw somebody and stab them with a bayonet. You know, I thought, oh, I'd love to learn how to fight like that. Well, I didn't have a dad. You know, I grew up with my mom, and kids in the neighborhood used to pick on me until I was able to outdo them in something else. And they, well, he, he can do this, but I, he can't do that. <laughs> so I had my little niche. Uh-huh. Uh, I built a hydroplane in high school at about 17. And every morning during the summer, I'd take it out for a spin. Because the lake was nice and smooth, uh-huh. everybody was sleeping, and <laughs> I put across the lake, right? Well, I, I would do it for about 45 minutes, and I figured about that time the cops are going to be putting the boat in the water and be looking for me. Well, one morning I was out there running my boat, and I came back into the shore, and there was a guy on the beach, and he was going through kata. Well, I didn't know what it was, hey? But I recognized he was punching and kicking, and I was I sat there. You were like, cool, that looks yeah, cool. so I sat there and I watched him. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. What is that? Well, it's a modified version of Taekwondo. 
Well, how do you? I started asking him questions. Yeah. The next thing I know, I was his training partner, and he was throwing me and <laughs> punching me and kicking me and showing me how to kick. You've been beat up a lot in oh, training. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's way to learn. So, uh, and I wasn't a big. I mean, I'm not much yeah. taller now than I was at 17. And uh, this guy was uh, home on leave for a month from Vietnam. Mm. Um, so I was a Zuki for a month, and I was hooked. Yeah. But I had nothing in the area that I could go to. So I started looking for more and more martial arts stuff. Sure. The local bookstore didn't have a thing. <laughs> nothing on TV. I'm kind of going, yeah, I want to learn this stuff. So when I went in the military, they offered it as a course on base. So I took it. And within a short period of time, like six weeks, I had my first belt. After about a month and a half, uh-huh. I was going for my second belt. Why? Because that's all I did. That's all you could do on base besides go down to the, the USO and there listen to the jukebox right. and drink. Uh, Smoke, drink, and, and yeah. work out. Yeah. I, and I've, this is what I wanted. Yeah. So I started training in it. And I got restationed to San Francisco, San Diego, Alameda, I kept looking for school studios. Well, every time I went to a new studio, the forms were done differently. Oh, we don't punch that way. Oh, we don't kick that way. I'm going, well, I learned it from this guy and that guy, and they're both the same. How come yours is different? Well, we do the updated version. <laughs> so I was kind of disheartened. Sounds Yeah, sounds like a frustrating experience. Yeah. Well, like Chuck was saying, yeah. why do you punch that way? Because I said to. Right. Right. I got overseas and I'm looking. I went to grab this guy's arm and he just literally tossed oh. me like a rag doll. And I thought I had a little bit of stability in right. my stance. And this little Filipino kid wasn't doing anything. He just wiped the floor with this guy. Yeah. What did I do wrong? Yeah. And that's how I got involved in it. Wow. I started from hard thinking that was it because that's the way everybody said this is this is true martial arts. This is the only martial art. You know. To to seeing what was out there. And when I was training with Carlito and Yada, he says, have you ever seen Bursalat? No. You go you go to Singapore, you go to this man. You see this man. You train with him. So I get to Singapore, catch a taxi cab, give him the cards, and there I go. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, when you go to Kaohsiung, Taiwan, they have a bookstore. The bookstore is such and such. You give me this book and this book and this book. I want those books. I cannot buy them here. So he goes to give me money. He says, no, no, it's on my treat. Go Kaohsiung, Taiwan. I find the books, bring them back in a box, come off the ship, hand them to him. And he says, very good. Now I teach you Pamakal. Wow. Like he gave me a challenge. Yeah. I did it for him. He gives me something special. Right. It was a give and take situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yin and half, the double halves. Yeah. Yeah. The more I treated him nice, the more he treated me nice. Yeah. The more information he gave me. The more I was friendly with his instructors, the more friendly they were with me. There was a couple of them that didn't really care one way or another. They just wanted to beat on me. But the ones that uh, I went over would spend more time with me. They would invite me to their houses. They they didn't feel um, embarrassed that I would condemn them for being poor or whatever. Because they're my buds. Yeah. Yeah. Friendship. Exactly. Yeah. You get more with honey than you do with... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to an instructor out there who's, who's teaching? Just more more general advice of, of, you know, anything about treating their students or training or whatever the case might be. Well, along the same lines, you get more with honey than you do with, you know, setting traps. Mm-hmm. If you want a good, good student, encourage him to do his best, to be better than you are. When he 
Ask for a skill, give it to him. If he's not ready for it, give it to him anyway. <laughs> because he will he will succeed because he asked and he's looking. At that point in time, he may be interested in this, but two weeks from now, he might be interested in something totally different. Yeah. If you don't give him what he's looking for, he'll go elsewhere to find it. Right. And if he finds it someplace else, he might learn it wrong. And he may realize he wasn't ready for it. Right. As well. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. This real quick. I think we covered. I think we covered everything. Well, thank you very yeah, much that, for your time. We really great. appreciate it. We, I think that um, it's the the information that that we can get from you guys is so invaluable yeah. to us up and comers that are that are sort of trying to make it in the martial arts. That uh, I I don't know that you realize that your that teaching us techniques is important, but teaching us the things that you've taught us here today is a lot more valuable to us. So, Well, having a place such as this where people can gather and having hosts that are as cordial yeah. as Chuck is and, and Mushtaq, that's more important than the number of students you have or how big your school is. Being accepted by other people for your abilities or your knowledge or wanting you there because they want to share with you, that's important. Yeah. I'm, I'm always amazed at the number of other martial artists who aren't involved in something like this that I talk to, and I and I talk about things like this, and they look at me like I'm a space alien. You know, yeah. I mean, they're like, "What do you What do you mean? You, you know, you actually you have, do that? Uh, yeah, you have you people from other styles they come in. Sh- yeah, they share information, <laughs> and they're open, yeah. and there's not it's not competitive, and right. yeah. you know, and yeah. I've I've never gotten a sense of my style is better than your style, and in yeah. fact. People are are so you know it's the open hand thing you talked about. I will I will take your I, I will receive what you're giving and hold it close to my heart and and that's really seems to be a, the the spirit of a lot of what we're doing here and that you know we get uh, essentially you know guys like you that are that are masters in their art for for many years over and are still willing to to look at information that anyone is giving them and say I will internalize that see if that's right for me I'm still a beginner I'm still learning I I learn from my students daily when they start asking questions and I don't know the answer I gotta find that answer (laughs) that's right and if I never really thought about it I start to question why did I learn it this way but um, yeah Uh, I'm in Traverse City right now okay I was from Gaylord I used to compete against a guy named Andy Johnson. The guy was phenomenally fast with his hands and his feet. He was a Taekwondo instructor. And whenever I went on the circuit, he was the guy I always ended up fighting. (laughs) And he was used to linear actions. And I'm used to somebody charges you, you get offline, or he's going high, you go low. He goes low, you go high. You compliment whatever he does. Well, he'd throw a kick at my head, and I dropped to the floor and popped him in a crotch. He hated that. <laughs> Where in the hell did that come from, right? So we're at a tournament in uh, in Marquette, Michigan, which is like a six-hour drive from where I live. Went up there, and we competed, and I beat him in everything. Just wiped the floor with him, and he shook his hands. I've never fought anybody like you. I'm getting tired of this. I want you to show me how you do this. See, that's... So I taught him how to do the drop kick. Next tournament, he beat me with it. <laughs> But I'm I'm sure for you that has some pride to it in that 
Sure. That he took that and, and really... He saw value he in saw what value I did, in what you and did. he adapted it to his own physique and his own art. But the bottom line is, the very next year, he invited me to come teach at Northwestern Michigan College. Uh, Why? Because he didn't have anything like what I taught right. anywhere around, and he wanted to incorporate some of the stuff that I did yeah. into his classes or have his students able to train in that. Yeah. So in 1982... Kuntao became the first Filipino martial art offered as a credit course in the United States. Wow. The first Philippine martial art ever offered as a credit course. Prior to that, there was a course in, in Los Angeles sponsored by Dana Osano, but it was a woman's self-defense course. It was not Filipino martial arts, and it wasn't a credit course. It was an extended education. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I think it's, people have to take that. I mean, him being open, you know. Imagine if he wasn't open to that, and that would have, yeah. that would have probably never happened. Yeah. Had he not been open and saw value in what you had to show, and was open to to go finally go, okay, I can learn something here. Let's let's do that. You You're selfish. He told me so. He says, so, I didn't have to drive all the way over to Gaylord to train with you. I wanted you here. Well, well, it was good for me because I had just gone through a divorce and I felt really ego about that big. And yeah. he's going, we want you. I'm going, great, oh, here I come. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. I was there. Yeah. And we continued to be real good friends. We still are today. He's retired. I'm still teaching. And uh, he's been a great support, an open-minded individual. Um He's adapted his self-defense techniques in his art to reflect some of the concepts that I brought for, brought to him and showed him. You know, instead of going two hands out and opening yourself up, yeah. he now does one, one hand, hand out. crossed ah, to cover the center so it limits. He's incorporated that because he saw value, mm -hmm. which made me feel good. So yeah. do you have contact information, a website or something that people can... Yeah, we have an organizational webpage from the college. Uh, and. Well, actually, it's two pages. One's a college page with uh, nmc.edu. Okay. But the same information is also on www.kuntao.org. And that's K-U-N-T-A-W. Correct. .org. Okay. Well, we should probably wrap this up because I'm guessing my battery's going to die and I want to do that. I hate it when it happens. I know. So, <laughs> thank you very much. You're quite thank welcome. You Thanks for, for being here and, and participating. Hey, glad, glad to do it. Glad to do it.